morning, beautiful family. How are we? Good, good, good. Hey, y'all are holy for real, for real. Because I know it took half y'all like an hour to get here, all right? And so thanks for fighting through all that and being here. I heard that uh, at about uh, 10.50, there was a crash northbound 35 on the lower and upper deck. Like the lower deck crashed and then people were trying to get to the upper deck and then somebody crashed there too. So y'all are like for real faithful. That's all I'm saying, all right? Uh, so hey, good to be here with you all. Uh, because the Austin Marathon is going on and it's just hard to get here and all that other stuff, I'm gonna need a little bit of energy this morning, all right? Y'all are the faithful ones, so you gotta show it, all right? So uh, I'm ready to dive in. Let's uh, jump in. Um, we are rounding the corner, about to finish in our series on 2 Timothy. Uh, this uh, will be our second to last week. Next week will be our last week. And then we're gonna start actually 1 Thessalonians as a church, which I'm excited about as well. Somebody loves that book. Come on, get crunk, all right? So um, I love what Timothy has been showing us. And really, this is a baton receiving sort of letter. Paul's writing to Timothy and saying, hey, listen, be faithful. Uh, with the gifts that God has given you, fan into flame the gifts that God has given you, fulfill your ministry, walk in your calling is what we see throughout this text. And so really last week we looked at uh, how do we begin to do that? How do we continue to uh, walk in what God has called us to? And to, uh, Paul really highlighted Timothy, we have to be serious about sin. We have to kill sin. We have to hate sin. We have to put it to bed. We have to uh, come to the cross of Christ, receive the grace of God that we might shed the sin that tries to cling us down to prevent us from running on mission with Jesus and from fulfilling the work that he has in our life. We have to see it and be able to recognize it. And we'll jump into the text in a moment, but in verse 14 today in chapter three, which is where we'll start, he starts off for, uh, telling Timothy, but as for you, and so in other words, uh, instead of being captured by sin to do sin's will, I want you to do something else. That but is in contrast, right? Instead of walking in this sin, if we're to avoid sin, if you're to walk in godliness, if you're to be a vessel of God, Timothy, if you're to run forward with the mission that God has given you, if we are to run forward with the mission that God has given us, and uh, both collectively as a church and individually, as for you, I want you to do this, is what Paul says. And Paul highlights for Timothy how we are able to overcome sin and walk in our calling. And so that's what we'll be looking at today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Second Timothy chapter three is where we'll start. We'll end halfway through chapter four. If you need a Bible, um, some ushers will be coming forward here in a moment. If you would raise your hand, uh, they would love to give you the word. If you don't have a Bible, you can actually raise your hand and you can take and keep that, our gift to you. We want you to have the word, be able to use it, read it during the week. Um, and yeah, we'd just love for you to have the Bible in your hands. You can also follow along on the screen. There's some instructions for uh, just different apps that we use and different ways that you can have notes and follow along that way. We say this every week because we mean it. We want your eyes on the word and you'll see especially why today as we actually begin to focus on the word, which is what today is really focused on, we want you to be able to wrestle with the words of God yourself. What I have to say is completely and utterly unimportant, but what the word of God has to say is eternal and true. And so we want you to be able to wrestle with the word and to be able to see what God is saying to us in and through his scriptures this morning. So um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we will be, and we're going to pick it up in verse 14. It says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, 
knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So this whole section today, we're going to be talking about the scripture or the Bible. And if we are to be used by God, then the Bible has to be a love language of ours. It has to be something that we sit in continually. We must see it rightly. We have to cherish it mightily. We have to continue in it faithfully. We have to uh, apply it continually. If we're to avoid sin, if we're to walk in godliness, if we're to be a people who God uses for his glory, then Paul is telling young Timothy he has to submit to the scriptures. And he's telling us at the same time through Timothy that the scriptures have to be uh, all in us. It has to be what we care about. A couple of important points on this section. First of all, Paul tells Timothy to continue in the scriptures. And this means that Timothy is actually already applying the word of God. He's not just reading the Bible. He's walking in the Bible. You see, many Christians today, they can wax eloquent on theological principles, but do not put scripture to practice in their lives. So are we putting scripture to practice? Like knowing the Bible does not give you power, applying the Bible gives you power. Can I get a witness this morning? Y'all need energy, you ready? Well, we're gonna be here for a little bit, all right? Um, So look, we have to apply the scriptures, right? Secondly, he tells Timothy uh, that he's firmly committed to the scriptures, like he's deeply rooted in them. He really believes in them. So he's encouraging Timothy to continue in that because Timothy has done the hard work of allowing scriptures to sink deeply into his soul. You see, Timothy's faith was not rooted in some feeling or even in his good works. His faith was rooted in the truth that he found in the scriptures and that drove him into deeper intimacy with God. He had been learning, verse 14 says, since a young book, and he's been continuing in them. He's been applying the scripture since he was a young lad. And now as he is maturing, like God is able to use that, his rootedness in the word to really make much of his name. Like notice, Timothy's not rooted in Paul's teaching or even in Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and mother that we looked at earlier in the series. He's rooted in the truth of the scripture. Even though he did have a lot of people that helped mold him in the scripture, that word whom there in the Greek from whom you have learned, that's actually a plural word. And so it's kind of like the Texas word y'all right? It's like a plural, like I'm talking to all of you guys at once, right? That word whom is a really similar word. So Timothy has had a lot of influences throughout his life that has helped shape him in a lot of ways, but he's uh, not shaped by those influencers. He's shaped by the word of God, and those influencers are pointing him back to the truth of scripture. Who's influencing you? Are you allowing them to root yourself in the scripture? You see, this is how Timothy was able to discern the difference between truth and error. It's how he knew how to walk because he was rooted in the truth of God. And so question, before we even really dive into our text today, are you rooted in the word of God, family? Like, are you rooted like a tree that dives down deep to try to find the water and then latches itself underneath so that no wind or storm above can knock it over. Are you rooted in the word of God? 
Can you tell the difference between truth and error because you have truth guiding you, because you have something that is greater than yourself actually giving you direction, or do you only allow your own thinking to actually steer you to what's true and what's false? Because if you're only relying on your own thinking, you're only as powerful as yourself. And last I checked, can't none of us resurrect each other from the dead. And so if we only trust our own thinking or only temporary truths of the culture around us, then we're not rooted in truth. We're not sunk down into something that can actually begin to create resurrecting power and life in us. We're stuck in our own truth. What are you rooted in? Are you rooted in the word of God? Does it drive deep down into you? You see, uh, Timothy was able to overcome sin or even the discouragement of sin, and he was able to walk in his calling because he was rooted in the scriptures. Do you spend time reading the love letters of God that have been written to your soul, family? Are you in them? Do you let it marinate in your heart? You see, the reason this is actually so important is because of really what our first point is today is that the word of God, it's unified. The reason that marinating in all of the scriptures, all of the text is important is because of the unity of scriptures and what they are trying to point us towards. You see, the sacred writings Paul talked about in verse 14, that's just another way to talk about the Old Testament. And what Paul says is that it can make us uh, wise for salvation in Christ. In other words, the Old Testament, it highlights and it points us to the person and work of Jesus. The whole Bible is one massive story that is trying to draw our attention and fix our gaze and our focus on the person and work of Christ. We'll actually tie this back in at the end, but it's actually a core conviction of ours as a church. We say we are Christ-centered as a church. And what we mean by that is that we believe that everything centers around the person and work of Jesus, especially the scriptures. The scriptures are one unified story trying to show us the beauty of Christ. See, the Old Testament doesn't just prophesy about Christ here and there, though that's true as well, but it's one big foreshadowing trying to drive us into who Christ really is. It's one big picture that's trying to draw our gaze and our attention to our God and what he is like and how to walk with him. It is trying to center our attention on Jesus. In fact, if you want to hear more about the unity of scripture uh, during Christmas this year we did a sermon on that whole thing and you can actually go check that out online if you want but what we believe is that this is not just a bunch of random stories by random authors at random times with random moral principles attached to them that's not the scriptures that we believe in we believe that it's unified and that there's no randomness to it and it's not even trying to produce in us morality but rather worship and who the scriptures are trying to point us to is the person and work of Jesus because the scriptures center around the story of God and the story of God centers around the person of Christ as he interacts with us. Are we in the scriptures so that we might see the savior of our souls? Are we in the scriptures so that we can actually know our King Jesus and fall in love with him? It's pointing us toward this greater story that all of us are caught up in. 
The scripture makes us wise for salvation, it says. It makes us ready to receive God and to walk with God and to know God. See, that word salvation doesn't just mean being made right with God. That's called justification. But it's also walking with God, sanctification, and one day dwelling with God forever, glorification. So the scriptures are this holistic process in our life that points us to how to be made right with God, how to walk with God, how to live with God forever one day points us to the future truth. It is trying to tie in the story of Jesus over and over and over again in your life. Do you see the story of Jesus in the scriptures or do you only hear about him once a week on Sunday morning? Because he's the lover of your souls. He's where life is found and the scriptures are trying to point us to life, to Jesus. And so there's this one unified text, and we should learn it, continue it, and walk in it, is what Paul is telling Timothy. He keeps going on, though. Verse 16 says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Point number two is that the Word of God is inspired The word is inspired, which means it's been written by God. So not only is it a bunch of random authors at different times, but we believe there's one author, the Holy Spirit, who's used several different men and women to compile a work that's pointing us toward one truth, which is the beauty of Jesus. And so we believe that this is inspired by God. And because God is truth, not just that he speaks truth, but he literally is truth in and of himself, and we believe that this has come from God, then we believe that this is truth true. It's truth. All of it is breathed out by God. It is inspired by him, and it's all profitable, we see. And so all of it is inspired. It's from God, and it's all profitable. It's good for us in that way. It helps us do what God has called us to do. In fact, if you want to do good work, if you want to receive the torch and run in the mission of God, verse 17, that we may be equipped for good works, we do it by the word of God. The Word of God readies us for these good works. It's the scriptures that help us understand how to interact with God and how to interact with God's creation that we may love it and nurture it towards Jesus. If we're to carry the torch, we must be a people of this book, y'all. We must know it and love it and desire it because we believe that this is truth. And anything else that we are leading people towards, we recognize that we're probably not leading them toward God. We're just leading them toward more of ourselves or, or, or more of this worldly morality or whatever it might be, which, as I said earlier, does not have resurrecting power. When we try to lead people to things other than the Scripture, like when we try to lead them to our own wisdom or our own ideas, we're only leading them to as great as we are, and we don't have power to overcome death, y'all. Like, why would you lead them to yourself or to these principles that they might be true, even temporarily, but are they eternally true? Are they rooted uh, throughout the foundation of history? Like, man, no. The scriptures are what is true. And so this text, there's a life in it. And this is what we must lead towards. You know, in a culture that says things like, well, that's my truth. And truth becomes relative. Facts. That is your truth. And your truth is only as strong as you. And until you start resurrecting people from the grave, I suggest you find a truth that's greater than your own. What are you rooted in? Are you rooted in God's words or your words? 
Are you rooted in God's ideas or your ideas? Are you rooted in God's love or your love? Are you rooted in God's conviction or your own conviction of morality or whatever it might be? Like, what are you finding that is actually guiding you towards truth? See, God is eternal. We are not. What are we being guided by? This is inspired by God. Now, we might say, well, how do we know it's inspired by God? Like, how do we actually know that this is all true? There's no air in it and stuff like that. And there's a ton of study that's been done on inspiration of Scripture, the fact that we can trust it. And so the fact that this is so unified is a great point toward that end, the way it was written, the fact that there's no heroes in the Bible. Like in every other religious text, there are heroes that kind of show us the way and they pave a path for us. But in the Scriptures, there is nobody that is a hero except God himself because the scriptures actually highlight, look, all of us are fallen. You see, when man writes things, they want to make man somebody awesome. But when God writes things, he says, oh, I'm going to tell you the truth. You ain't that dope, fam. And God speaks the truth to us. And yet within this, it's not this God that comes down and condemns us, but it's this God that dwells with us that he might exalt us to be with him one day. And so not only is it not glorifying to us, but, uh, but humbling, but within that humility, it creates glory. Like nobody else has ever penned anything like that. And so the way it's written, all of the prophecies that have been fulfilled, nobody who is a studier of of history that is honest with themselves can reject the fact that Jesus actually came and fulfilled a bunch of the stuff that Scripture said he was going to fulfill. And all of the prophecies about Jesus and him being able to fulfill it literally make it mathematically impossible for somebody to come and fulfill all those things, and yet history says Jesus did it. Do we believe this is inspired by God? Only God can keep truth that intact and yet interact with humanity who is nothing but the opposite of truth at the exact same time. Only God has that power. All the archaeological findings, nothing has ever rejected Scripture. We haven't found something that went, oh, see, this is false. In fact, everything we find only validates Scripture. And we could go on and on and on and on and on about all the study that's been done about the inspiration of this. In fact, if you want a good book on it, there's uh, two books written by the same author. His name is uh, Josh McDowell, and they'll be on the screen uh, next to us. But one of them is Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and one of them is God Breathe. And both of them are just uh, books about how you can trust the scripture. Really, it's going to give you enough evidence that's going to make you give a verdict. Do you believe this or not? Because the evidence that this is actually God's word, that God is real, that he's good, is actually really overwhelming. And so it demands a verdict. Are we going to reject that and say, no, 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 our truth is actually better? Or are we going to submit to that and realize God is good? There's all this sorts of evidence. But look, y'all, we can go all day on this evidences. I think there's an even better evidence than even all the archaeological findings and all this stuff. It's just that God himself is a great evidence. You see, God is good, and he's a loving father, period. And if God is a good, loving father, then why would a good, loving father who longs for intimacy with his children allow them to hold something that would actually turn them away from him? You see, when Jesus steps on the scene, who we believe was God incarnate, he actually begins to uh, confirm that all the Old Testament that we have is actually true. It's from God. It's pointing to him. And if God loves us, then why would he allow us to literally read something that would not draw him to him? That would make him a facetious God, one that is not worth following. But if God is good, and if he loves us, then he's sovereign enough to hold the scripture throughout human history and to keep it intact so that we might find our way towards him. 
If scripture's morality, that's one thing. If it's a roadmap to God, which is what it is, then he's gonna hold it intact because he loves you. God is the evidence of himself. Do you believe that God is good or do you believe that God is trying to set you up for failure? That's what we have to wrestle with there. God is good though, and so he confirms it. Like, check, the God who spoke everything into existence, like God said something in the galaxies and the stars and the sun and the sky and the grass and humans and all of the ecosystems and all of the structure, like God spoke and those things exploded into existence. By God's breath comes everything that we see around us. And it says that this scripture is God breathed. Like the breath of God is laced in to the pages that we have here, are you reading the breath of God and allowing that to fulfill your lungs or are you breathing in other air? This is the only place where oxygen lies. Everything else we're breathing in is carbon monoxide. It may feel like we're breathing, but really we're breathing in death. Only this gives life. Only this has the power to resurrect. This is the only truth that's worth sitting in. Are you literally breathing in the breath of God through the scriptures? Is it nourishing to your soul in that way? This breath of God gives power for mission. It gives the ability to overcome even the darkest of sin. It gives the ability to overcome your own emotions. It gives the ability for you to have eternal life. Are you breathing in the word of God, family of God? Is it in you? Because there's power in this. Which goes to Paul's next point. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Point 3. The word is powerful. There's so much power in this book, and therefore, Paul tells Timothy to preach it. To preach means to proclaim or to be a heralder of. So there's so much beauty and freedom and joy and peace that this book is trying to point us towards in Jesus, that he's saying, look, know the word that you might preach the word continually. If you're acquainted with the sacred writings of Scripture, then you're able to allow this to actually minister to you faithfully and truthfully. You see, it's not only that we preach the word to others, but he's also encouraging Timothy to preach the word to his own soul. What are you proclaiming to yourself and to others around you more than the Scriptures? If you're like me, you're proclaiming a lot of other things than the Word of God. Some of us are proclaiming more about politics or about food or about music and none of that stuff has the power to save. None of that stuff is bad in and of itself. That is good things, but none of it has resurrecting power. You see, the scripture is actually continually trying to point us toward Jesus who is able to resurrect the dead. And so while none of it is bad, none of it actually gives eternal life, what is it that you are proclaiming consistently even to your own soul, family? What are you ministering to yourself with? Are you ministering to yourself with temporary truths or are you allowing the eternal truth, the word of God, the joy that is found in this to do work in your heart, to lift you up before the Father, to give you the grace that you need? What are you ministering with yourself to and what are you ministering to others about? 
You see, a lot of times to others, we actually preach not just politics and, and, and food and, and our jobs and stuff like that, but we end up proclaiming ourselves a lot to others. You see, when we're talking to others, when we're preaching to others, we end up proclaiming us. And we try to tell them how awesome we are or what our job is doing or what we got to do that week. And we start trying to proclaim ourselves because we have insecurity and we need somebody to validate that we have worthiness. But rather than allow the word to actually validate us, we start proclaiming ourselves so that you can validate me. But you don't have resurrecting power. You don't have joy or hope or life. And so a lot of us are proclaiming all these other things than what scriptures actually proclaim. Like, look at how serious Paul is being here. Like, he's charging young Timothy, right? Which is a really big word in and of itself. But he charges him in the presence of God, which means that God is always watching. We're accountable to him. He charges him by Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus' appearing, and by the kingdom of God, like, this is a really serious charge. Like, like, if Timothy's going to fulfill his ministry to lead others into life and faith and godliness, eternal purpose, this must be done by proclaiming the word. He's saying, listen, by the Father in heaven and by Jesus Christ, his son, and by his future appearing and by the kingdom of God, I charge you with everything powerful I can think of to proclaim the word. That's how serious the word of God is. Is the word of God that serious to you? Like, would you swear by it, by the Father and the Son and the kingdom and heaven and his coming? Would you charge your soul, preach the word to yourself, soul, that seriously? Paul is being serious here. The word of God is powerful. Do you proclaim this to yourself and to others that you might have eternal life? The word of God is this powerful tool. And in a lot of ways, I believe that the word of God is like a map that really shows us who we are and the way that we actually get to intimacy with the God of the universe. Maps are super, super vital. You know, when I was uh, about five years old, my mom decided that she wanted to go on a walk one day. Now listen, y'all, I hate nature, okay? Like that just ain't what I like at all. And so uh, she said she wanted to take a walk. Even at five, I can clearly remember being like, I ain't trying to take a walk, all right? But you know, my mom is half white, so we wanted to go for a walk, all right? So I ain't hating y'all like nature. That's cool, do you, all right? It showcases God. And so we're out on a walk and I remember my grandma, I remember my grandma saying, hey, you should take a map. And my mom was like, no, 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 I got it. And so we start walking, and it's supposed to be like a half-hour walk. And about an hour and a half in, I realized like, yo, we're lost. Now, important point, my mom was actually six months pregnant with my younger brother, okay? And so it's supposed to be this short walk to kind of get her moving, and here we are, we're lost in the middle of the woods. Now remember, I'm from uh, Michigan. Michigan has a lot of wooded areas, so like we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And y'all, we were lost for 11 hours before we finally found a road. Now look, my mom was six months pregnant, I was a five-year-old. Even if I was like the godliest five-year-old that's ever existed, I'm sure that wasn't a pleasant experience for her, right? And I remember complaining about being hungry and she was like, there's some berries. And I was like, yeah, right? Like I was just hungry, I needed something to eat, right? My mom didn't have a map. Y'all know what a map is? One of these things? All the college students are like, what is that? This is paper. And before we had Google Maps on our phone, we had things like this, okay? 
Now here's the reality. I believe that the Bible is like a map. By the way, this is the map. That's why y'all couldn't get to church on time. Y'all are like, dang, Austin has great infrastructure. No, that ain't our city, y'all. That's why y'all couldn't get to church on time, all right? No infrastructure in this mug. But I believe the Bible is like a map. Now here's the reality of that story. If my mom decided to grab a map, but she actually grabbed the wrong map, we would have been just as lost as if she had no map at all. And many of us, we actually use all these other maps about how to live life and how to get connected with God and then wonder why we're lost in the woods for 11 hours starving. We have the wrong map. But check this, family. Even if she grabbed the right map, but she didn't study it and follow the directions on the map, we still would have ended up just as lost as we were without any map in the first place. And so a lot of us, we have the word of God, but we don't study it. We don't uh, engross ourselves in this. It doesn't marinate in our souls. And so even though we may even have the right map, we don't spend time studying it. And then we get lost in the woods and we don't know where to go. Y'all, the Bible is a map about how to connect with God, how to have joy for your souls. Are you studying the map so that you know the directions for your life? Are you walking in this? Is the Bible like a map for you? It's powerful. Which map do you have that's guarding your life? No other map is powerful enough to lead you on the directions towards your eternal home. Only the scriptures can do that. And so do you preach this to yourself? Do you proclaim this to others so that they might see the map? In season and out of season, it says. That means when people want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. Listen, the word of God is never out of season. The word of God never returns void. It's us who are in and out of season. But the word of God, even when we don't really want to hear it, can actually enter in and do this beautiful work to our soul. Are you proclaiming it to yourself and to others? Is the word of God powerful to you? Do you preach it in and out? But it says we must preach it with patience, it says. In fact, it says with complete patience is what it says there. Like like total patience. Like we're not angry and not trying to push towards this, but we're taking time with it. We're allowing the word to take time in our own hearts and we're uh, being gracious toward others and doing it with gentleness and patience as we proclaim that eternal life is found in this book. It's pointing us toward eternal life in Jesus. Do you do this with complete patience? A couple of weeks ago, uh, I decided to plant a tree, okay? And so uh, here's a picture of the front of my house, and there's my little tree, all right? Now listen, I just told you I'm black. I'm from Detroit, like the hood, all right? I don't like outside. <laughs> like, I don't even like <clears throat> when people have been outside, and then they come inside, and they smell like outside, Y'all know, what I, y'all know what smell I'm talking about, all right? And so I'm out here looking like Mr. Rogers in the dirt trying to plant this tree, and I'm just getting frustrated because it's not easy, y'all. And so I'm like, y'all, like, it's easy to plant a tree. It ain't easy for me, all right? Y'all do you, okay? So I'm out there, I'm trying to plant this tree, and I'm not going to lie. I planted it, uh, and then I started getting frustrated because within a week it still looked like that, and I was like, yo, where the fruit at, dog? Like, where are my apples at? I want some apples, right? And I started kind of growing impatient in a lot of ways. But just like a tree, it takes this patience and this cultivation and time and water and sun and seasons for it to begin to root into the ground that it might produce fruit. So the word of God takes patience and time and cultivation. You got to get dirty with the word sometimes, y'all. Spend time in it to allow it to begin to marinate in your soul. You see, Timothy has been soaking in it since his youth, it says. 
This is why he's equipped to do these good works. This is why God is able to use him, why he's able to overcome sin. He's been doing the hard work of cultivating so that it might bear fruit in his life. The Bible does not bear fruit to the lazy. Are you in it? Are you cultivating it? You must tend to it because your soul is a lot like this tree and needs time and energy. And the Bible is the nutrients that it often needs. Paul concludes with this in verse 3. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Point number four is that the word of God is true, despite what others might say. There's several important things here. First of all, it says some people will not endure the Bible. That means take time with it. Think about this phrase, endures, what we've just been talking about. Do you wrestle with it long enough to allow it to bear the fruit in your life? You see, Scripture is hard sometimes, y'all. And so we have to persevere with it. Do you wrestle with Scripture long enough? Are you cultivating enough? Or do you just move quickly and therefore will never be able to enjoy the fruit that it longs to give to you? Like good food, you got to let it marinate and to sit sometimes in your soul Are you enduring the word of God even when you don't understand it? Like, are you wrestling with it? Like, listen, there are many things in this Bible right now that to date I don't understand. And I have a seminary degree and I'm a pastor. Like, this is my job is to understand this. And yet, there's so many things I don't understand. Part of that encourages me because if I understood it all, that would make me as smart as God, which would make me God and I'm not that great of a God. But if it actually extends beyond me and God becomes this mystery, yet this mystery that wants to make himself known, then I'm probably dealing with the real God. But even still, as I wrestle with it, like, man, sometimes it's hard. I have to endure with the Bible. And the temptation is that when I face confusion, I place my confusion onto God as if God is confusing. But God's not confusing, nor the author of confusion. I'm just confused. And a lot of us, we take our confusion, we place it onto God rather than enduring in the scripture and allowing it to do the work in our hearts. But I promise you, family, there has been nothing in scripture, and I mean this, nothing, not one thing in scripture that I haven't saw, had a little bit of wrestling or or struggle with, persevered with it for a few years, and then God did not reveal something beautiful about himself to me as I endured in the Bible, nothing. Everything I've come across that I've had question about or I'm confused about, as I endure with it long enough, God always reveals that he is good, that he loves me, that he is consistent, that even though I may not understand this originally as he reveals it to me, I realize that that truth gives me life. And even if I didn't understand it, as he unfolds it and allows me to understand it, it gives life to my soul. Are you enduring in the word? Are you wrestling with it? Many people, they won't endure through it, though, it says. They'll reject this truth, actually. There are false teachers out here who want to proclaim to you other things other than the Scripture, and those things are not edifying for your soul. We just looked last week. It might feel good. It might sound good, but it's not good for your soul. You know, false teaching is a lot like candy. It tastes sweet in the mouth, but it gives no nutrients to your body. And a lot of us, we listen to a lot of false teaching. That sounds good, but as it goes into our soul, it gives no nutrients, and too much of it, you die. But the Word of God is this meat. It's nutrients. It's what our body needs. 
And so Paul's telling Timothy, look, endure with it. There will be people that will come and will try to proclaim false truth. You have to realize that the scriptures are what is actually true. And he says many people will actually have itching ears. Now the temptation is for us to at this moment look at that and be like, yeah, gosh, stupid people who don't believe the Bible. Like, no, no, no. You and I have itchy ears, okay? We have ears that want to hear things that make us feel good. And if there's conviction that comes, we want to reject it. We have ears that don't want to submit to truth. Like, we are these people often because the Bible comes through and it often says to us, look, like there's something wrong. Something wrong with you. Like, the Bible kind of shows us we have cancer. And when the doctor comes and says you have cancer, that's never a pleasant thing to hear. But if you just want to go on about your life as if you don't need surgery or therapy, then you can ignore it for a little while, but you'll end up dying in the end. But then nobody likes surgery, but if we realize we need it and then we submit to that process, then it actually will produce life in us at the end. And so the scriptures are consistently not tickling our ears always with the things we want to hear, but it's pushing us to become more like Jesus. It's revealing truth to us. Do you sit under the word of God and allow it to bring nutrients to your soul or do you just accumulate false teachers to build up your own ego or to hear things you want to hear? Notice even the word accumulate there. When you have the word of God, it's all you need. When you have false teaching, you need to accumulate because one person isn't enough to satisfy your soul. And so you get more and more and more and more and more. You need more people to follow that think the same, that talk the same, that look the same, and hear that more and more and more so that you might have nutrients and even then you're not satisfied. What are you feeding yourself? What is happening here? This is what the scripture is trying to highlight. You see, ultimately, I think that scripture is a lot like a mirror. And listen, oftentimes scripture actually gives us really beautiful things about ourselves. And we need that because we actually lie to ourselves. You see, I know I wanted to even really set up the sermon like this on purpose because right now it could be really tempting for a lot of us to be like, gosh, I'm so dumb. Why don't I just read the Bible more? And look, that might be what the Holy Spirit is laying on you, okay. But oftentimes what the Holy Spirit is wanting to tell you is that, no, 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 you have this beauty, this power. You were created in the image of God and is trying to proclaim to you how much God loves you or how worthy you actually are. So worthy that the, uh, the Father would send his son to die for you. It's trying to proclaim to you that you want to have life and joy. Man, come to me. I want to remove this burden. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and wants to speak life to us. But instead of allowing the scripture to speak life to us, we speak life to us, but we can't resurrect ourselves, y'all. And so we end up only receiving these partial truths, but the word of God doesn't just lay conviction, but it lays this beauty upon us and it speaks life into us. Are you allowing the scripture to speak life into your soul? Or are you just hearing it from the Instagram stories you follow? Ain't enough, y'all. You see, sometimes scripture looks at me like it did last week when I stepped off the stage and felt really like, man, I just didn't do a good job delivering. And I felt heavy and like, man, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have. And I feel like scripture said, look, like you were, you were really trying to honor God. Like I'm proud of you. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the scripture spoke life over to my souls and I need that because I speak to me more than anybody speaks to me, which means I lie to myself more than anybody lies to me. I need the word of God to speak to me. And so sometimes the word of God acts like a mirror and it shows me myself and the word of God says, yo, you a good looking young man. I'm like, you know, pop's creating your image. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's how I talk to God sometimes, all right? <laughs> 
But sometimes it says, look, no, 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 like you need to take a bath, bro, <laughs> right? Like you need to take that broom challenge you were doing and do that to your sin, all right? And so sometimes the Bible actually does speak conviction, but are we allowing it to minister to ourselves? Are we allowing it to speak into us? This is what the Bible is. Now, I could end here. I could be like, now go read your Bibles. And I'll always be like, you know what? I'm going to read my Bible this week, fam. Or you'd be like, by golly, I'm reading the Holy Book this week, all right? <laughs> Whatever your style is, cool. But if we did that, we would be tempted to do that out of moral obligation instead of allowing the Bible to do the sole thing that it is actually meant to do, which is point us toward the beauty and the person of Jesus. You see, going back to the first point, we believe that the Bible is unified. It's not a book of principles of moral do's and don'ts that if you follow the map close enough and you do enough of the right things, then you'll end up at home. No, the Bible actually says we can't do enough of the right things. And all of the roadmaps of the Bible aren't pointing us toward morality. They're pointing us toward the person and work of Jesus, the lover of our souls. Are you seeing Jesus through the scriptures? You see, we don't read the Bible so we could check off a mark and say we're good Christians. We read the Bible because they point us to the lover of our souls. The word of God points us to the word, Jesus of God. You see, John chapter 1, it says that the word became flesh. And so what we know about the scripture is that God didn't just give us some book and say, here you go, go figure it out. I want you to go just read this enough and I want you to figure out how to find your way toward me. No, our God is not like that. He's not a distant God with arms folded looking to judge you, but rather our God comes down and he became flesh and he dwelt among us. And Jesus came and he lived this perfect life and he actually embodied this book to perfection. He fulfilled all of the laws in the book. He carried out exactly what it means to look like God. Why is that? Why does he do this? Well, because of what verse 4 says. You see, all of us, if left to ourselves, we would all turn away from God. If left to ourselves, we would find ourselves wandering in the middle of the woods, not knowing where we are and starve to death. But instead of allowing us to turn from the truth, and therefore the Father turning away from us, the Father instead gives us the truth. Jesus, who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He gives us the word of God. And rather than allowing us to try to figure it out and ultimately being led away from God, instead, Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life, and yet the Father turns his face away. We just sang that, right? <laughs> instead of us turning our face away from God, and because of that, God therefore rejecting us, instead, Jesus comes and sets his face solely toward God, but yet God turns the face away from the Son. Why? Because that's what all of us deserve. And as Jesus dies on the cross, as if he broke every single one of the commands of Scripture, all of our sin is placed on Jesus. All the ways that we don't live up to perfection and we don't follow this book at all. And the truth lived like he was the greatest lie ever so that we who are the greatest lie ever and who live consistently in lies might now have truth reigning in us and be with truth forever one day the word of God became the word of God so that we might know how to get to God you see scripture is powerful this isn't just some morality check it's pointing us toward Jesus and so do you see the scriptures like that 
Are you in the Bible not to be a good Christian, but are you in the Bible so that you might know the good Christian, Jesus? So you might know the one who loves you. Are you in it that you might receive the grace that your soul needs today or the conviction that your soul needs today or the truth that your soul needs today? Are you in it so that you might see Jesus? Because if you are, there's life in this forever, family. Easy application for us. Next week, we're gonna be emailing out a Lent devotional. Lent is what people have practiced throughout history. It's the 40 days leading up to Easter. And traditionally, people actually fast from something. They remove something in their life uh, so that they can kind of like receive more of Jesus and kind of put him in at that time. And that's awesome. But rather than removing something this year, we want to add something to you, the word. And we want to be able to give you a resource that you can kind of wrestle with the scriptures, but in a really easy but beautiful way. One of the things we believe as a church, one of our distinctives actually, is that uh, we are empowered by the Spirit, but we're guided by the Word. And so we want to teach us on how to be actually empowered by the Spirit of God. And we're going to use the Scriptures to actually guide us and try to listen to the Spirit at the same time to hopefully give us life. Because ultimately, we know what the Scriptures are trying to point us to, which is Jesus. And so if you have not filled out a connection card, shameless plug, fill it out. Like, we want you to have this resource. But we want to be a people of the word. And so are you in it, family? Do you let it marinate in your soul and in your heart? Are you walking in this truth? Even today, do you feel like, man, now I got to go read my Bible? Or, man, now I get to go read my Bible? You get to interact with the lover of your soul. You get to see Jesus. Is that what you see the scriptures as? And if you do, it'll produce life in you. Family of God, I want us to have life I want to be used by God. And the scriptures allow us to be ready for every good work that we might be used by God. So if we as a church are to push back darkness in this city and exalt the name of Jesus, we need to be a people of that book. And I pray that would forever be true of the Well Community Church. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the scriptures. God, I thank you that you, by your grace, God, that you lead us into life. God, I pray even right now that you would actually allow us to feel the conviction, the power, the authority, the love for the word. Not just the Bible, the word, you, Jesus. I pray for those who may be wrestling with you, who may or may not know you. I think about my own story and how though a lot of people shared the gospel with me, one person told me, go read the Bible. I started in the book of John. I read through Corinthians and you just became real. The word of God had power. And so I pray, even for people that are wrestling with you, that they would just wrestle with the scriptures, endure in them, they would have power, see its authority, and be led ultimately to you, Jesus, the lover of our souls. And for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would not try to follow you now out of some moral obligation, but that we would forever love you and that we would let the scriptures point us to you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that you're not a distant God, but you've shown yourself to us over and over and over again. I pray that we would see that as your people. Praise in your beautiful name. Amen.